0: greater than degrees podcast I have two awesome guests today named Jacqueline and Greg and I'm really excited for the conversation that we are about to have um Jacqueline and Greg do you want to introduce yourselves
1: sure so my name is Jacqueline Bokeler I am an occupational therapist I also identify as neurodivergent um I am the co-founder and executive director of B3 Coffee, which is a nonprofit organization based in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, which is where we live. And I also serve as project coordinator of a grant funded project um, funded by the administration on community living. And it was awarded to UNC Chapel Hill and it's focuses on systems change for the transition to adulthood for folks with IDD. So, Broadly, my work focuses on occupational justice and promoting community integration and belonging.
2: Cool. And I'm Greg Boheler. You may have noticed our names, are, our last name is the same. We're married. Um, I'm also an OT in that same community-based practice type of setting. Um, I'm a co-founder of B3 Coffee as well. And then my nine to five, but not really nine to five, is um, as a transition facilitator in a high school, a local high school. So while Jacqueline works on more of a micro or macro level, I'm working on more of a micro level. And my job really with that is to identify areas of, of growth and area and goal areas for high schoolers with disabilities as they graduate and then to work on those. So it could my day could be anything from um, working on budgeting or a resume to gardening or like cooking a meal as long as it's related to life after um, high school, that transition to adulthood.
0: So you two are both occupational therapists focusing on getting back to occupation and living life. And I think it's so interesting that you are married, co-founders of a business, and then working outside of your business, um, B3, as kind of the before and after part of high school and then college that's a lot of interesting components to juggle in a week
1: yes we definitely feel like we see systemic issues from all different angles <laughs> I think as Greg mentioned he's in more direct interaction with individuals and their families whereas I am learning about policies and funding streams that impact um, people with IDD and their families and how to navigate through those complexities. Um, the adult services tend to be very disjointed, whereas the school system, you know, has its own problems, but everything is centralized and you get you are entitled to a free and appropriate education and you have an IEP and a team. Um, and things get very different and very muddy exiting the school system. Um, and in many ways, B three is is trying to combat some of those issues as well.
2: We're also I, both autistic. I don't know if we mentioned that. Yeah. So. Yeah.
0: Oh yeah. I think I think Jacqueline said neurodivergent. And oh. thank you for, Whoops, I gave um, it away La. though. <laughs>
1: I, I I fluctuate between terms. So.
0: And and we'll probably fluctuate through terms throughout like life as different yeah. things kind of as different descriptors come in and feel good. Um, But so you two are like the ultimate degrees and lived expertise, both in your personal lives, like who you are, and then also how you're trying to empower all these individuals in your community and in your schools. I would love to hear more about the model for B3, for people who are listening that don't know what your business is.
1: Yes, this is one of my favorite scripts. <laughs> um, do I get
2: to do the four things or are you going to do that?
1: You can do the prongs. I'll just... All right,
2: you introduce. I'll follow.
1: <laughs> so B3 is a nonprofit that essentially uses coffee to bring people together and create inclusive community. So I'll go into a little bit of the backstory um, just because I think it provides some context for the way we operate today. But I was an undergrad at UNC Chapel Hill, and I was a Starbucks barista, and that was like the best job ever. I'm so glad my mom bribed me with free coffee to go apply <laughs> for a job at Starbucks. This is uh, very difficult for me to make friends as an neurodivergent person and like find a social circle and working at a coffee shop really gave me the structure that I needed to have meaningful relationships with my peers and I also felt like it really exposed me to people that I would not have otherwise interacted with and I was also at the time involved in a club called Best Buddies which is a student organization on campus. This is actually a national organization so um, your listeners might be familiar but they pair um, folks in one-to-one friendships with people with disabilities It's definitely more of a charity mindset. There's not a lot of allyship training involved, not to bash on the organization. I think, you know, overall it's a starting point for people to uh, interact with disability community, but I thought we could go beyond that um, and create community a little bit more organically. And that also involves some work on the part of non-disabled people to really listen and learn from lived experience and to really dismantle that charity mindset that we often see. And again, no hate, like that is definitely where I started as well. And that's where many people start in their allyship journey. But the important thing is that we take steps beyond that to really delve deeper into what disability justice means. So with that said, we ended up starting B3 in partnership with Best Buddies and it was just a small little pop-up coffee stand operation on campus. We would go to different special events. And then COVID happened and then we started an online community and we also got our nonprofit status in 2020. So that was right before the pandemic hit and um Let's see. Yeah, we branched off and became our own nonprofit organization, kind of cut ties with Best Buddies. And since then, B3 really has become this multidimensional organization, which Greg will go into the different prongs. But um, I would say what really makes us distinct from a lot of the quote unquote inclusive coffee shops that you see is our no hierarchy structure between people with and without disabilities. So this means that Everyone involved in B3 is referred to as a member, such as being like a member of a community center or the member of a YMCA or a member of a faith community, you know, and we really um, make sure that there is not any, or I mean, there's always going to be power dynamics, but as much as possible, we want to level the playing field. um, And that means positioning disabled people in leadership roles within the organization, whether it's on our board or our staff, um, or just in general, constantly seeking their feedback on the direction of the organization as we evolve. Um, I will say that what B3 is today is not what I envision it to be like at the beginning of B3. And I think that's a good thing because we've really tried to lean into what the needs and priorities of our community actually are rather than what um, we may have initially assumed them to be. So yeah, B3 is definitely my my passion. And I, I definitely feel like occupation is so embedded in everything that we do. Um, it's all about finding shared um, purpose and community and developing identity. Um, whether you're an ally or a person with lived experience, so Greg, I'll pass it to you.
2: Okay, so I'll just try to hit some things really quickly. So B3, uh, the three B stand for being, um, belonging, and becoming better together. We have those as our guiding principles, and then kind of those set the stage for everything we do. Um, but B3, as as Jacqueline was saying, is it's I mean like it's a coffee shop, but not not really. Um that is one of the like if I was pitching this business model, you it's our four-prong business model, but it's just one of the four like areas of what B3 is. Um we do have we do have like kiosks where we serve coffee, and those kiosks are in collaboration with local community partners. And that's the really the central piece of B3 is community. Um so one is at the Chapel Hill Public Library, one is at a um campus. Developed, I don't know what you want to call it. It is UNC's building.
1: The um, startup in Chapel Hill.
2: Yes. So everything we do is community-based and community-oriented, whether that is the disability community or the broader community. um, We like to see a lot of overlap between those two. Um, So we do have the kiosks. That's one part. We do catering pop-ups as well. Like so, we're out in the community doing events, um, and that's another part. And that's also copy. But then the two parts that are the most exciting to me um, as somebody who prefers tea over coffee is the social part, the community part, and then the the programming part. So we have the kiosk and the catering, but the biggest part of B3 is the social component. It's the um, weekly Zoom meetings that we started when COVID happened. It's the um, monthly in-person socials. It's the setting up art classes with a local community partner. It's those types of things where we're our, our B3 members are connecting with each other. They're connecting with other people in the community. Um, that's really where we want to see this go um, as an organization. And then um, the final piece is that programming piece. And, and what I mean by that is that we as you know, neurodivergent people and also occupational therapists like to use our skills to create educational programming, which meets the needs of the community. And that, that's where it goes back to listening to what our adults with disabilities are saying, what their families are saying, what the community is saying, what type of things do they want to work on, and then we create curriculum for that and implement it throughout the year. So, mm-hmm. okay, so we have several programs right now. Eventually, we hope to have a permanent, like, location that's open all day where people can come, and each day of the week we're going to have a different program running, um, a different class running. Um, mm-hmm. Right now, we have three classes. Our two biggest classes are belonging in the workplace. And that is something that works on workplace skills and readiness. Um, I don't, Jacqueline, you probably know this better.
1: Yeah, so I developed this curriculum. Um, We touch a lot on self-advocacy, identifying your strengths and support needs. Throughout the program, our members will develop a work portfolio about themselves which really summarizes about them and what their work interests are. And um, we have their resume in there and a lot of other relevant information for an employer. So they could use that portfolio as an interactive part of an interview or to provide to an employer or a job coach. Um, B3s, as, as far as what we do with employment, we really aim to be transitional, a launching pad rather than an end destination for folks. So that's why at the library, our model is a 14 week paid internship rather than long term employment, because if we offered long term employment there, we would hire 10 people and that would be it. And that is not what systemic change looks like. So we really want to rotate people through, um, make connections with employers in the community, and send our members off. And they can always be a part of our our social stuff. So,
0: I've just had my jaw dropped for most of this because you two are doing so many different things at the same time. And I, I find it interesting thinking about how a lot of like OT entrepreneurs always talk about like niching down and finding your one thing, your one thing that you love to do. And it's like, what's really important, what's occupation based, what's lifelong involvement is all these different pieces, employment, social, budgeting. I mean, I love that idea how you're starting people off like the launch pad and and then giving them different opportunities and giving a lot of people the opportunity to be part of your paid internship. And you're definitely doing being belonging and becoming really, really well. So it's nice to see a mission statement uh, followed through on. Um, I was also thinking about uh, something Jacqueline said earlier, and I should have been taking notes.
1: I do have one other thing I wanted to mention about um, the internship program in
0: particular.
2: We also didn't get the other classes.
1: Yeah, yeah. And Greg wants to talk about those classes. (laughs) Let's let's, uh, loop back. This is how nerd-origin conversations go. Let's loop back to the Living Your Best Life and Navigating the Digital World programs, and then we'll talk more about the internship Okay,
2: I'll be super quick. The other programs that we have currently, like I said, we want to have programs for every day of the week. They may be programs that only run four Mm -hmm. weeks because that's that covers it all or it maybe it's entire semester
1: this would Um, be kind of like a clubhouse model
2: right now we we have semester-long programs the one that is kind of like a sampling platter or like a, a flight if you were to go to like a brewery or something is living your best life um which is working on a bunch of different types of adult living skills. So, um, and and it's like one or two classes on each. So uh, they're all topics that I could really dive in deeper. Um, Things like uh, community mobility, getting around safely, um, budgeting, uh, having safe um, social relationships, cooking, like all of these different types of things that you do in your daily adult life. And we work on those in that class. And then this summer, we piloted a digital literacy program In collaboration with the library, once again, those community partners, Um, and I made sure to design the curriculum in a way that it was accessible for our members with intellectual disability, but also interesting and engaging enough for people um, without intellectual disability um, because we hope to have classes where we may have some B3 members who may have disabilities, and then maybe some, you know, older adults who also could use some, you know, technical literacy education um, in the same space. And that's really, um, that was really exciting for me this summer is kind of coming up with that. So those are the other two classes. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. You can go ahead.
1: Yeah. Um, and so the other aspect of our transitional employment model, which is our kiosk, is allyship education. Um, so that's a really key part of our model um, because integration and belonging is is really the foundation of B3. So that involves people with and without disabilities co-creating community together. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, that takes work for people without disabilities to really understand and respect um, the disability community. So um, our transitional employment model tends to draw a lot of pre-human service professionals. So currently we have a few Duke OTD students um, doing the program. We have um, a marketing student. So um, even like outside of the human service world, people want to learn how to be a better ally. Um, We've had like social work students involved with us. I'd say the majority are, are OT because that's Greg and I's background, but we're we're trying to branch off even more because I think it's always good to have those interdisciplinary perspectives. Um, and throughout the the internship, they take allyship trainings involving education on disability history, the disability rights movement, um, language considerations surrounding disability. Um, systemic issues impacting the IDD community Um,
2: and what you can do to level up.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then Greg presents his like allyship. Um, Maybe we can link it in the show notes or something. It's like a framework for allyship where it starts with the basic awareness and then moves up to accomplish ship. And there's different steps in between. And, And we obviously encourage our allies to level up as they they grow in b3 community
2: and those those are presented in brief on um instagram
1: mm-hmm. yeah on our ot's for neurodiversity instagram you could find that as well
0: yeah there are so many places that we'll link to because you have several accounts that all have different avenues of information and we'll definitely link those i i remember what i was going to say before it was that you're very aware of the power dynamics at play in this kind of field, in this human services sort of field. And I think that that is something that a lot of people forget about. So whether it's occupational therapist and client, whether it's staff and client or participants and mentors, like there are so many different ways to name things, but having everybody be members is a nice way to make everybody feel like part of the team. I've, I've been to coffee shops that say they're like yours that are not
1: wearing a polo and they're non-disabled and then everyone else is wearing a t-shirt who's disabled. And it's just very clear, like,
0: exactly like that. And they're, they're kind of, uh, equivalent to like the best buddies idea where it's like, okay, we're starting this off. We're working on employment yeah. we're working on. Community integration, but it still creates such a divide, mm-hmm. and no better because of it. And so I think that that's your role modeling that. And I wish I lived closer to Chapel Hill, but I'm up in Philadelphia, and I have to make a trip down because I'd love to meet you in person, but also see everything that you're doing and support it. Um, well, I am one for
2: Philly. Well, which we will be because I'm a huge Philadelphia sports fan, so.
0: Oh, so is my partner like the biggest yeah. fan? Oh, okay. yeah, cool.
2: We can talk eagles. So yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, there has been a countdown on our fridge for months leading to opening day. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we will definitely talk sports, and I would love to see you up here. I I am thinking about how. Bringing this back to kind of the usual questions in the podcast, how you have a lot of education, you have been trained to do a lot of these things, and then you're also combining your own lived experience with learning from your members and your communities. And usually, I ask people, what are some of the big things that you learned in school and the traditional education kind of format that have helped you? And then, what is something? Or things that have been important to you that you've learned outside of school that have made a difference in your life and career. Okay, hey, do you want me to go? First? We
2: do school first. Yeah. yeah sure. you do school. I'll do school then.
1: Um, yeah. So in school, I would definitely say I probably learned the most from Ryan Lavalley. <laughs> He is like
0: one of my idol community based ots so I think Ryan is an idol to so many not to cut you off, but everybody should also check out Ryan's Instagram and podcast uh, pause right now
1: truly a brilliant person, but from him, I learned a few things. first, I learned to let go of my pride in being called an ot. You don't have to be called an ot to be an ot and <laughs> you don't have to have that job title. Um, I would say 90% of B3 members have no clue. That's my professional background, but I am constantly using the construct of occupation to enhance quality of life for our members. And that's at the end of the day, what matters is, you know, I'm still, I'm not wasting my degree. I'm still using that as my kind of theoretical underpinning of what I do. Um, and I feel like I am liberated to reach the full potential of OT actually without having to follow the productivity requirements and billing and, you know, all the not fun parts of being an, a real, I don't know, (laughs) um, like a more clinic based OT. So, um, yeah, that was a really important step for me. Uh, Also with my role as a a project coordinator with a grant um, that's focused on systems change, my role is not an OT, but I am truly doing the work of working with groups and populations and communities rather than with individuals. Um, and promoting their participation in policy change that ultimately impacts occupational justice. So, you know, I'm an OT, but I'm not. And, you know, that there's just going to be that complexity with my career. And I've accepted that. And um, I really feel like I learned in school to, um, I guess, just the idea that OT doesn't have to be just like a therapist and a client working one-on-one together. And it is so much broader than that. And that is the beauty of our profession. And um, I, I, I think also my strength is not working in that context. So you have to be self-aware of like what your strengths are. Um, I'm a big thinker. I, I like to see things from more of a macro perspective. Um, and work more behind the scenes rather than more direct contact so that is um what I've learned about myself and um yeah but Ryan has been a big inspiration in in helping me uh get through that identity shift I guess so Greg what did you say or what would you say
2: if you have any thoughts you can pop in and then I'll go okay Kayla
0: Oh, I have so many thoughts, but I I feel similarly with the title of occupational therapist. I I love being an occupational therapist. I love how that's given me access to the work that I do, Um, but I don't find myself doing that constant, like, this is what occupational therapy is with my clients. It doesn't matter. What matters is that their <laughs> hour or hours or life is getting better because we're working together. But it doesn't matter what my title is in that setting. I'm just using it to like qualify being on the team, on the, on the team and being involved in their life. But I, I really value that. And, and the idea that we look at occupational therapy as like clinical, medical or not. And the not can be academia, community-based, grant-funded, but we don't talk about the not so much. And I feel like we're in this, maybe another paradigm shift where we are getting back to mental health and living life. And I love that. And I love hearing that you love that too.
1: <laughs> yes. I truly hope that is the direction we're headed.
0: Me too. How about you, Greg? As,
2: as I do as well, for sure. Um, okay. So what I learned a lot, a lot of things. Um, One one offer is like for our program, which is UNC, they really hammer in right away. The idea of like transactionalism and stuff, Um, which I'll just briefly, if you're not like familiar, it's the idea that everything is connected and the relationship goes both ways, right? So like the acorn is connected to the squirrel because the squirrel might eat the acorn, but like the acorn gives the squirrel nutrient like it's like everything's connected. And for me, that was cool to learn because it really um, reinforced my feelings about interdependence, right? That everybody um, is connected at any point in your life, no matter what you're doing, you're never really truly independent unless you're like Robinson Crusoe on a deserted island by yourself. Um, Because at some point, somebody else or something else was at play. So I really liked that idea because it, it did, you know, push me more towards that interdependence versus independence um, as an outcome and as something that we're striving for, especially with people that are transition um, aged. And then the biggest takeaway for me was really, um, and this is like OTPF stuff for all OTs out there, like the context stuff, um, the understanding, the different types, whether it's personal factors or somebody's cultural background or the, the physical environment they're in, the social environment they're in and then um realizing that that's like a fluid thing it's like always changing you know somebody may be anxious in this environment during that time in that moment but not in like another similar you would think it's the same but it's not because there's so many different contextual things at play um and i like to call it contextual cognizance because i thought that sounded cool um but yeah definitely context and I just want to tie that really quick back into the whole, um, the power dynamic thing, right? Because when you're working with a client or whatever, and are to call it, um, or you're just interacting with a disabled person as somebody without a disability, like there's that power hierarchy is coming into play in that context, right? That mismatch is immediately, maybe not like, very apparent but it's like it's there right because a lot of times the client needs something from the ot and so a big part of like striving towards allyship is is seeking more authentic relationships um whether that's with a client whether that's someone you meet on the street who you know you may have things that are contextually different between you um and so i think that was huge for me because it really Kind of fit into that that framework of like authenticity and embracing vulnerability, like those types of things as methods for um, combating some of the power high power dynamics that just exist.
0: I am so glad you brought up independence versus interdependence because independence is such a buzzword. Like, let's go be independent, but independence is also really close to loneliness and isolation, and that's not good for anybody. So interdependent,
1: realistic standard. It, yeah. it people up for failure.
0: <laughs> and, right, and it's something we only talk about for disabled people. We, nobody yeah. else is striving for independence, mm-hmm. except for people that have an IEP. Yeah. That's not- Because it's on goal. the
2: IEP, yeah. yeah. Yes,
0: exactly. exactly. And so that is, yeah, that, I think that is unrealistic expectations in a negative way where it seems like the bar is set high, but really the bar is set at a destination that nobody really should be heading towards. And I think that also aligns with your, I like your term, contextual cognizance. Is that it? (laughs) So I love that idea too, because another thing that we tend to do is when we're working with disabled people or people with disabilities, however they identify, there's, again, these pressures that we put on people to act certain ways in certain places or to act the same way all the time. Where meanwhile, neurotypical people or people without disabilities or pre-disabled, we have the luxury of having a bad day, of not getting enough sleep, of being hangry, of being like PMSing or whatever it is. And we don't let that be uh the natural flow of life for anybody else, and i I appreciate you bringing up that and and coining that contextual cognizance of everybody's allowed to have different things going on in different places at different times,
2: yeah, and just be aware of them, just be thinking looking for them, you know you're not going to catch everything, but just be open to it
0: and it's also why.
1: OT is not a protocol like textbook approach (laughs) and why we can't just use these blanket behavioral strategies for everyone because everyone is different. And there's all these variables that are constantly changing and in interaction with the person. And, um, yeah, that's a big reason why behavioral approaches tend to not be effective.
0: Um, yeah. (laughs) Sorry, I get excited to bring up behavior um, because I have a couple of previous and upcoming guests that are talking about behavior, including I'm hopeful to have somebody who is an autistic BCBA.
1: That'll be an interesting conversation.
0: Yeah. Yeah, fingers crossed to schedule that one because it's such a hot topic these days of of yeah behaviorism and how I, I think that's the opposite of consent. And in, in my field of kind of sex education, it's it's harmful. Um but that's not what this episode's about. So this episode is about, yeah, you've learned some awesome things in school. You had great professors like Ryan. Um but then outside of school or since school, what has what has taught you a lesson that has impacted all these different avenues you're working on?
1: Okay. So outside of school, I would say my biggest lesson has been letting go of perfectionism. Um, I think I'm a very type A person and I want to do things right. And I want to be perceived um, by others as doing things right. And um, I think I've really had to break down my ego and embrace vulnerability because as Greg mentioned, that is connection. Um, When others can realize that like you're not perfect and you make mistakes, um, it gives them freedom to open up to you. And um, yeah, it it really just facilitates um, this sense of safety and so, yeah, I think I've I really had to learn that um, my vision of B three is like what it is today may be different <laughs> tomorrow, um, because it it is constantly in response to the disability community and, and collaboration, um, and also part of disability culture is vulnerability and. Um, just the constant barriers that disabled people face in daily life leads to the, the need to be adaptable. Um, and I really think that's an area that I've had to grow in, um, being more of a a rigid person that has like a, like I see things a certain way and I think they should be executed a certain way. And, um, yeah, that's, that's definitely what I've, I've learned outside of school. So,
0: (laughs) wow. Uh, relatable yeah the perfectionism is a privilege when you have so many people involved in your life or your care or whatever and you you start to or or at working with that you start to see that you can go with the flow and it will be okay and we can adapt and it might cause some anxiety but it's another thing you can kind of practice and I yeah same with my business. I started it and went, this is what I'm going to do. And three years later, it has changed so much. The podcast was never on the agenda. <laughs> and I, I like I look back on younger Kayla and I'm glad I picked a relatively neutral business name because it can be whatever it ends up being. And I love that. And I love that it's guided by my clients and my families and my research and my interactions because you have to, if you're so rigid, you're going to fall behind. And um, I'm sure all of your members appreciate growing with you and, and being parts of the changes that are happening.
2: No, i don't i was never that um you know it's i guess there are a lot of things about me that are very autistic um one of them that's not i don't think is like i just go with it like i don't i don't have that perfectionist standard like i'll just you know wing it um and I think that was honestly each other. <laughs> say what? Yeah, we do compliment each other. Um, I think that was crafted by my experiences. So there's my context, right? My background. Um, and I think that's really where I learned a lot of things. The thing that I want to talk about, what I learned, um, is that you you can learn, and this is something that I didn't. Just like was completely not even on my radar when I was a 19 year old undiagnosed autistic ADHD. Like I mean, they thought it, they knew I had ADHD, but they didn't know the other part. Um. So, but since then, definitely something I've learned. Um, my experiences in school. I got late diagnosed. I spent. I had to leave school for medical reasons. I worked very very hard and prioritized work instead of school, and so school took longer than it should have. Um. And along the way, I learned that you can learn something from like anybody because I was in all these different, you know, environments and I'm encountering a lot of different people. And when I was younger, I was closed, more closed minded to that, you know, because I thought I was smart and other things. But um, but dropping that ego and just being open. Right. You can learn something from anybody as long as you're open to learning, like to listening Um, and that goes for like, you know, people who may not be somebody that you encounter or, or would be somebody that you would call a friend, right. Or, um, something that we've learned, you know, with B3 is that some of the most, like the greatest wisdoms in the world have come from people with intellectual disability, right? That's not the traditional area where you think that information may be coming from. Um, but it's important just to be open to learning from any any given experience, um, any given person um,
1: yeah, yeah, and also I just think t- to add on that, people with intellectual disabilities are brilliant in their own ways, I think um, I. It, Intellect is, is such a social construct, in my opinion. <laughs> it's become so pathologized. Very um,
2: narrowly defined.
1: Yeah. And I think when you start to see people for their humanity instead of just you know, the the stigma that comes along with their diagnosis, then um, that's when you can really open yourself up to learning from them and, and their brilliance.
2: And also, just speaking of learning, being open to learning. Um you were mentioning, um, Kayla, mistakes earlier. Um, I love mistakes. Oh my gosh. And that's it, I had to take an ABA class. So like I have a very nuanced idea of what like behaviorism and stuff is, but one thing I- I'm not a huge behaviorist type of guy, but one thing that I will say against it, like that's concrete for this discussion, is that you need to allow mistakes to happen. Like the correction of mistakes is taking away valuable learning opportunities from people. Um, so, just being open to those types of learning is yeah. huge.
0: Natural consequences.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yep. Yeah, and that's natural consequences are underrated. I think because for a lot of folks that have intellectual or developmental disabilities, we're 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 sheltering them mm-hmm. so much, and then we go, all right congrats, you graduated high school, you're an adult now, good luck, and have had no opportunity for learning about themselves, like trusting their gut, interoception, like understanding who they are, because so many people have been telling them who they are for so many years, but then also learning about the world, and like learning about other people, and learning about how you fit into the world, and it, yeah, when we shelter people, we, we, take away opportunities for learning that are that are just part of living. Um and Hi, I also yeah, sorry. Go ahead.
2: I'm fully like in my capacity working in the schools, I'm fully willing to go down that wild goose chase that I know is not going to end like, but that's what they're passionate about. That's what they're interested in, or that's the way they want to pursue it. And I may know ahead of time, not the best idea, but but if it's not going to hurt anybody, um that's a valuable learning experience so we'll go off book for a couple of days or whatever and you know we'll learn from I, it
0: I think that's awesome yeah let them learn from it and also yeah if it's not going to harm anybody the only reason we tend to like switch those things is because of like the one in charge's comfort level or because of efficiency if it oh mm-hmm. it'll just be faster if I do it or if we do it the
2: standards, way. yeah
0: yeah, and, and we're so trained by that as as different kinds of staff. And and I also think this goes to what Jacqueline was saying about what, what is intellect, what is knowledge, what is valuable. And I would agree that most of my best life lessons and things that I think about on a regular basis are from clients that I've had with intellectual disabilities because – and not to – this could sound like um, – I don't know, like, not old... they're not angels. But... Yeah, no, 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 no. And I, what I mean is, I People think because, totally of, no yeah. because of a lot of the systems yeah. that are in place that keep them from things like traditional employment, moving out to college, moving out on your own, like these different life chapters, I think that there is a lot of um, social norms that they question mm-hmm. in a real meaningful way. And so learning about yeah why are they're asking why and then I'm going I don't have a good answer for that and and I I appreciate like all of the questions that my clients ask and also the answers that they have like they have helped me through like my cat dying in a way that nobody else in my life could have because they were just like oh how's Mia she died okay sorry and it's like okay we're moving on and and things that have helped me along the way with just having so many different perspectives that aren't so scripted by the social norms that all the neurotypical non-disabled people are following.
2: Yeah. It, you're hitting, I don't want to sidetrack here but it's connected because um, that's how my mind works. Um, but uh, you're talking about the, oh God, I'm losing it. Let's come back to it, bring it back. Skepticism. Yes. Okay. Asking questions. Yeah. Um, That's one of my big things that I harp on being open to the lear- learning from different perspectives, right? Being open to listening and experiencing potentially different cultures and through somebody, right? And whether that's like a disability culture or a different type of culture. Um, Something that I feel like a lot of people lose as they grow up that is connected with that is that skeptics mindset, that questioning mindset of like, why? Like the follow-up, right? The Those types of questions as we become, um, and I, I'm not speaking for everybody, but as many people become like, you know, cynical adults, they just accept things, right? Um, whereas it's very important as people uh, and, and practitioners to constantly be asking those, those questions. Um, some of the coolest people in the world have maintained like childhood curiosity and it's Like, it's so amazing. Um, I wish I could do that. I'm definitely a skeptic, but I wish I had that, that level of questioning Um, because like you're saying, that's some of, some of the most, like the greatest wisdom comes from that. I feel like.
0: Yeah, definitely staying curious is not the easiest thing to do, but such a valuable mindset you can try to incorporate. I guess we should wrap it up. I I am also curious, this is not related to the podcast, but I am curious at some point to talk about like how you fund B3 and pay people and like those sorts of business questions, because I think a lot of people will see what you're doing and want to know how that can be replicated or created in a, in a meaningful way. But I just love Everything that you're doing, I, I really think that you two as a team are a really good example of how you can have things in common with your partner. And you can also have things that are different. So like perfectionist or go with the flow. I'm got ADHD chaos and my partner is the most routine person I know and stable and Mm -hmm. balanced. And I know that's been good for our relationship. And I think good in a, in a partnership, whether it's like romantic or business Mm -hmm. and, yeah, finding ways to connect with all your different members in the ways that your strengths allow you to is is really really awesome. I um, uh, will tag three
2: Ooh. quick keys for like our finance. Okay, three yeah. quick keys. Number one, um, certain things can be just break even. Like when we do our internship stuff at the kiosk, right? As long as we're breaking even there, the value in that is not in are we making money at the stand? The value in that is, do we have people that are potentially having their first job ever and learning? And can we connect them with commu- like community job sites afterward? Um, so being okay with some areas of your business breaking even because the value is not necessarily in the money is one thing. Um, the second thing is leverage community. Like, like I said, B3 is so community integrated. Um, like everything we do is, is like connected with the local community. And there's a lot of give and take with that. You know, potentially we've in the past we've had like marketing students do some of our social media, right? That's free. They they gotta do projects, you know, those t- getting creative with those types of things within the community um and giving and taking. And then the last one is educate programming, educational programming. If you're doing, I mean that is just like the cost of doing those types of programs. Um whether it's like a recreational program or it's this type of skill learning program um, are very insignificant to what you can bring in because it it's offering such great value to people. And um, with our programming, we're able to offer full scholarships, partial scholarships because there's, it's such a high profit we margin.
1: That- our managed care organization to yeah. be able to use um, Medicaid innovations waiver funding for yes. members who have that, and we also partner with First in Families, which is a local nonprofit that um, funds people um, to really do anything that would enhance their quality of life. So, yeah, we we definitely um, have gotten creative with our funding streams, and of course, as a nonprofit, we apply for tons of grants as well.
0: Oh, that's so epic. I like I say, with pretty much everybody I've interviewed, I can't wait till this is published so I can listen to it again, because you two have so much that I want to learn from and, and try to replicate in different ways. I think you are a really genuine example of leveling up that uh, I think a lot of listeners will strive for. So thank you for being here. Today, mm-hmm. and we'll love all your time.
1: I definitely feel we have similar philosophies in our yeah. organizations. So, yeah,
0: organizations and sports teams.
2: <laughs> yeah, go birds. Am I allowed to say that?
0: <laughs> You're allowed to you say that in it. interview. <laughs> Might be a good spot to end it. Go birds and upset. Yeah, end
2: it on go birds. Yeah.
0: People. <laughs> oh, well, thank you both.